Let's pray together. Father in heaven, it is so true to the point of tears that my mother did not labor in vain. And I pray that all the mothers of the men and women in this room would hear that soon, if they're not in heaven. And now help me do my little part here in regard to this theme. In Jesus' name, amen. So my title is Marriage Lived to the Glory of God, and here's my main point. Um, If your marriage is going to make God look glorious, you must be more satisfied in God than in marriage. That's the point of the message. And the assumption is Al Mohler's message. It's not a repetition, you'll hear that. But the assumption is, so he laid the foundation and and I'm going to now build on it. The assumption is that uh, behind this main point, God is ultimate and marriage is not. God is infinitely important and marriage is of secondary importance. The universe is of secondary importance. You are of secondary importance and God is of supreme importance. If you believe that, you are totally out of step with the world and what's going on in it. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. That's the assumption underneath this point. So God is the ultimate reality in the universe. We are not. The universe is not. Marriage is not. We're derivative, and the universe is of secondary importance. God is supreme. We are not. Everything else exists for him, by him, as Colossians 1.17 says. Everything that exists, therefore, is meant to magnify the glory of God's reality. Bring my sons from afar, my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone whom I created for my Glory, Isaiah 43. Paul loved to celebrate this. God the source, God the sustaining one, God the goal. From him, through him, to him are all things. To him be glory because of that forever and ever. Everything that exists, including marriage, exists for his glory. So we... We exist to make God look great through our marriages like telescopes, <coughs> not microscopes, because microscopes make teeny things look bigger than they are, and telescopes make unimaginably great things look more like what they are, or to put it another way, microscopes cause the appearance of reality to move away from reality. 
and telescopes cause the appearance of reality to move toward reality. <clears throat> so marriage exists to help the appearance of God in the minds of people to move toward reality. Because it's not real in their minds. They don't have any sense of what God is like. And everything exists to show people what God is like, including our marriages. And so we're supposed to be like telescopes. Now, if this is going to happen, husbands and wives need to see the glory of God for what it is. More true, more real, more beautiful, more valuable than anything, including each other. It's the only way this is going to happen. If your marriage <coughs> is going to make God look glorious, you must be happier in knowing God than you are happier in being married. And you are happy in being married. God must bring more satisfaction to your heart than she does, or he does, or sex does. Or children do. Whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth there's nothing I desire in this family besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That's the key that will make this marriage make God look valuable. Make God look satisfying, make God look true and real and precious, beautiful, if he's vastly more beautiful to us than we are to each other, and <clears throat> more satisfying than we are to each other. Now, how does that work in marriage? Most of the time, I think, when we come at this, we go to Ephesians 5, rightly so, and we, we see a complementarian structure of sacrificial male headship and a beautiful, humble submission to that headship to come alongside and help him bring it into reality. And we say, this glorifies God because it is a beautiful parable of the glory of redemption of Christ in the church. And that is true and deserves lots of sermons like Ligon said, lots of prayer and lots of poems and songs. It does. I think we less often draw attention to the fact that Finding superior satisfaction in God is the key to release the kind of long-suffering that will be required to be in this marriage for the glory of God for 47 years, like mine, or more, or till one of us is dead. Less often do we draw attention to the fact that there's a, there's a root, there's a source, a spring 
for the kind of daily, hourly, yearly, decades-long dying that will be required to love this woman or this man such that God gets glory. Where does that come from? That's the key question. The self-denial to carry it through year in and year out. I was parked in the parking lot of Perkins restaurant Saturday noon to meet with a fellow, uh, fellow, I guess I'm not a pastor anymore, but another pastor, pastor in the city. And uh, we're going to have lunch together at one o'clock on Saturday. I got there a little early. I'm sitting there and here's the question that came to my mind. How do you cover, how does love cover a multitude of sins? 1 Peter 4.8, James 5.20. You're married to a sinner. Your kids are sinners. There's a daily disappointment in life at church, in the home. Frustrations, disappointments, dreams that don't come true. And if this is not figured out, if you cannot find a way to cover those sins, love covers them so you don't see them or you, they don't make you bitter and angry and resentful and hard. It's going to be over. So I'm sitting there thinking, how does that work? How does love cause you not to respond that way? It comes in my mind, Galatians 5, 6, neither circumcision or uncircumcision is of any avail, but only faith working through love. And I'm adding to cover all these sins in my family and in my church and in my friends. And then I ask myself, Faith in what? what? What act of faith releases a love that covers sins and keeps me happily engaged in all my relationships without bitterness and anger and resentment and hardness? And here's my, my sentence that I believe the Lord gave me. It's a summary of biblical teaching that I've been thinking about for 50 years or so, and I was so happy with this sentence, I emailed it to myself. <laughs> That's my, my way of taking notes, so I don't forget things. I just dictated it quick in the mail and sent it to Piper. And, and then when I got home after this lunch, I put it in my journal, and, and now here I'm talking to you, and it's not even in my manuscript. And I've got 13 minutes, and I'm not even going to use all of those, so don't worry. Here's my sentence. This is the sentence that John Piper must be thrilled with confidence is true. If my 
faith is going to produce a kind of love that's going to cover a multitude of sins in my marriage, in my kids, in my church, in my family, so that I can be a, a happily forthcoming not a self-pitying, mean-spirited, hard, depressed, discouraging, useless husband, father, friend, but rather one who's proactively serving and ministering and giving other people the benefit of the doubt. Here's my sentence. See if I can remember it. This is not here. <laughs> oh. Piper, you have a blood-bought, inexpressibly happy, totally undeserved future. You have a blood-bought, inexpressibly happy, Totally undeserved. That's a really important one. Future. If I could believe that at every moment of conflict, at every moment of disappointment, at every moment of frustration, at every moment as I look out on the world, I'd be a loving man. If, if our marriages are going to show God gloriously all-satisfying, then we must find more satisfaction in Him than anything. Anything, especially marriage. Marriage will be preserved for the glory of God, shaped for the glory of God, sweetened by the glory of God, when the glory of God is more satisfying to our souls than marriage or anything else. Which leads just to a brief application for pastors or any, anybody, parents who have any teaching responsibility at all. If we want the marriages in our church to glorify the, the truth and beauty and worth of God above all things, we need to preach more about God than about marriage. And I'm thinking, Ligon, that that is a zero contradiction to what you said. When you, when you said that, everything, when you said, we got to teach on this, everything in me is saying, that is so right. Okay? You hear that? <laughs> and now I'm going to add, and we better, week in and week out, make God central in our preaching. Not marriage. Not marriage. But God Almighty has to rise up out of this congregation with, that's our all. That's our all. He is my satisfaction. That'll never let your people down, no matter how the culture goes. Most young people come to courtship, dating, marriage with no great vision of God. 
what he's like, how he acts, who he is. They don't bring an all-consuming admiration for him or reverence for him or absolute surrender to him or deep satisfaction in him. Most young people on the threshold of marriage are not besotted with God. They are besotted with the world. And the world that they are besotted with is breathtakingly God-omitting. And when he intrudes himself in some video or TV or movie, he is totally distorted. That's the world they are besotted with instead of being besotted by the glory of God. God is not there. They don't bring how big he is. They don't bring how central he is. He's marginal. They don't bring how clear he is. He's vague in their lives. And they don't bring how all-determining he is. Not for them. Well, they don't spend time seeking to grow in their sight and their savoring of the glory of God. Where, where does a young couple do that? Where do the men and women of your church do that? Where are they going to get a sense, a deep, unshakable, all-shaping sense of the reality of the glory of His eternality? The glory of His knowledge, His wisdom, His authority, the glory of His providence, the glory of His word, the glory of His power, the glory of His purity, His trustworthiness, His justice, the glory of His patience, the glory of His incarnate obedience, the glory of His wrath, the glory of His grace, the glory of His love. Where? What's happening? Now, my, my sense is that if we think in our preaching and teaching we will bring about marriages that cause God to be glorified by mainly dealing with relational dynamics. Instead of God, we will be like people who want to keep the planet Mars in orbit by fastening big jumbo rockets to either side when the sun isn't in the solar system. That's not hopeful. So, I say again, as my main point, if we want marriage to glorify the truth, the beauty, the worth of God, we must teach and preach so as to leave the impression God is infinitely more important than marriage. The felt impression. Let me close like this. 1995, my son, my oldest son, we only have five kids. I feel really wimpy. Because I'm, I'm, I'm one of those people in the airport that admires you. And not just because you're, you're courageous, 
1995, my oldest son is, is getting married, and he amazingly asks me if I would write and read a poem for his wedding. I said, wow. <laughs> the only son that did. Maybe that's because he was the first and all the others. <laughs> just That just occurred to me. Uh, but he did, and, and I wrote a long poem, and I'm going to read the last stanza or so because it would be too long. And... Well, I think it's self-explanatory. Yes, love her. Love her more than life. Oh, love the woman called your wife. Go love her as your earthly best. Beyond this, venture not. But lest your love become a fool's facade, be sure to love her less than God. It is not wise or kind to call an idol by sweet names and fall as if in humility before a likeness of your God. Adore above your best beloved on earth a God alone who gives her worth. And she will know in second place that your great love is also grace and that your high affections now are flowing freely from a vow beneath these promises first made to you by God. Nor will they fade, for being rooted by the stream of heaven's joy, which you esteem and cherish more than breath and life, that you may give it to your wife. The greatest gift you give your wife is loving God above her life. And this I bid you now to bless. Go love her more and love her less. Amen.